So that gives us a perfect foundation here to look at the land covenant. They have been given the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law will regulate their use of the land because God has given it to them unconditionally, but he knows that they are a faithless people, that they will bring corruption into this land and he needs a way to filter that corruption out. So he gave them the Mosaic law and each one has a responsibility to be faithful to the Mosaic law in order to, uh, to receive the uh, experience of living in the land. So Deuteronomy 29 introduces this new covenant, this land covenant. Now a bit of, uh, of a note on this covenant, it is sometimes called the Palestinian covenant. Um, in fact, most theology books you read won't say land covenant, it'll say Palestinian covenant. That name is, uh, has become kind of a bad word in, in the uh, last few decades, primarily because it's no longer associated with the land itself, but with a group of Arab people um, who are not native to that land. Um, so it's become a name that no longer suits this covenant well because it has uh, modern day baggage that um, is frankly just not worth uh, retaining that name any longer. So most are calling it here the land covenant. Uh, and um, frankly, that's a little more suitable to it anyways because the name Palestine wasn't even the original name for that location, but uh, when, uh, what's his name, Hadrian, uh, King Hadrian came to the land of Israel and was uh, frustrated with this Jewish people who wanted to live under their own laws and not under his laws. Um, he scorned them by naming it after their enemies, the Philistines. Mm. Uh, so the name Palestine was supposed to be a derogatory name anyways for that land uh, to stick it to the people. So the land covenant suits this covenant much better than the name Palestine does. But uh, Deuteronomy 29 verse 1 is important because Moses makes it absolutely clear that this is not the same as the Mosaic covenant. The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. The land covenant is an unconditional covenant. God will bring the people into the land. He has given them this land, but they will not experience this land unless they are faithful to the Mosaic covenant. But a generation who is, regardless of previous failures, the generation that is faithful will receive this land. So these are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab besides the covenant which he had made with them in Horeb. So now they're in Moab, hundreds of miles from Sinai. God is making a new covenant with them. And it's a land covenant, so how appropriate that he makes the distinction based on where they were when he gave it to them. Uh, now, the reason why this has a different name, like we've got the, uh, the Edenic, the, uh, the Edemic, the Noahic, most of these are named after the person who it was given to because that person becomes a representative steward of the dispensation that follows that covenant where God dispenses to a steward responsibility and that steward has the responsibility of passing that on to the next generation. So with Adam, with Noah, with Abraham, with David, um, but certain covenants were given uh, two covenants to one person. For example, Adam in the Garden of Eden received two covenants. First, the Edenic covenant, and after failure under the Edenic covenant, he was given the Edemic covenant, which governed life after the fall. 
So the first one is named after the location. The second one is named after the person. We have simply the same pattern here, but in reverse order. The first covenant was given to Moses and it's called the Mosaic covenant. The second one was given uh, to Moses as well to govern uh, or to reiterate the promises of the land. And that one is called the land covenant. All right, so continuing here in verse two, and Moses summoned all of Israel and said to them, you have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants in the land, the great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders. So he's reminding them who the God that brought them there is, that they have seen all that he has done and that he will bring about all of his promises. And the promise he's giving them here is the promise of land. And it's in chapters 29 and 30, we see pretty much the entire gambit of how that covenant is going to play out. Uh, and it breaks down pretty much in these seven parts. Now, 29, whole chapter 29 is pretty much a preamble to the promises um, in chapter 30. 29 details their disobedience and scattering. It says that even though I'm bringing you into this land, you will get kicked out of this land. But 30 is that promise that regardless of this dispersion, you will be brought back into this land, that the land will never be lost to them permanently. <clears throat> so starting in 29, and we're not going to go through all of these verses. Um, it's just, uh, there's way too much to go through all of them. Uh, but I do recommend you go and read Deuteronomy 29 and 30 to just see how God traces their unfaithfulness, but his faithfulness. So basically, uh, the verses that we're skipping in four through nine, uh, Moses reviews with the second generation of Israel, all that they had witnessed as children during the Exodus period, uh, during those 40 years of wandering. So God, or in uh, here in verse two and three. Moses reminds them what they saw during the Exodus, during the, uh, their parents' generation. But then in 4 through 9, God, or Moses, is reminding them all that they saw during the 40 years, how God sustained them. Uh, their clothes never wore out. Uh, those such verses are there. And then we get here to verse 10. And this is the beginning of the covenant in its covenant language. He says, And you stand today all of you before the Lord your God, your chiefs, your tribes, your elders, and you off, your officers, even all the men of Israel. So this shows us the two parties of the covenant. There is God and there is every person in Israel. These are the two parties. Your little ones, your wives, all the aliens, uh, and the alien who is within your camp. So this included non-Jews as well, those who would be part of um, who would make themselves proselytes to this nation. Uh, all who are within your camp, from the one who chops your wood to the one who draws your water. Every single person um, as part of this camp would become, un would come under this covenant. And then what, uh, what proceeds in verses 14 and 15 uh, is, let's see, the covenant is for the future generations as well. So I didn't include this, but uh, yeah, so this is saying that every single person physically present in that day was part of this covenant and to every generation that comes after them from the physical line of Israel, 
those uh, are also able to, or those are also under this covenant. Now, no one who is not from the physical line of Israel can be brought into this covenant because those who are not under the physical line of Israel can't be represented by those in Israel. So for example, your grandpa, whoever your grandpa is, can't um, do any legal stuff for me, but he can for you. Uh, the promises that are given here to Israel can't be given to them for someone else, but are given to them and can be passed down through their line. All right, so he continues, um, so that you may enter into the covenant with the Lord your God and into his oath, which the Lord your God is making with you today, in order that he may establish you today as his people and that he may be your God, just as he spoke to you and as he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And remember the promise given to those three was land, seed, and blessing. So God is skipping back over the Mosaic covenant and saying, I'm going back to the promise to Abraham. You're entering into a covenant here that expands upon that covenant. Now, jumping ahead to verse 22, now the generation to come, your sons who rise up after you and the foreigner who comes from a distant land, when, again, when, not if, they see the plagues of the land and the diseases with which the Lord has afflicted it, will say, all its land is brimstone and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive. No grass grows in it, like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in his anger and his wrath. So there will come later generations who look on this land and think that God has destined it for desecration, that God has given it over. And in fact, we have a modern day uh, fulfillment of this prophecy. In 1862, Mark Twain went to the land of Palestine and he wrote this about it. He says, of all the lands there are for dismal scenery, I think Palestine must be the prince. Can the curse of the deity beautify a land? Palestine sits in sackcloth and ashes. Over it broods the spell of a curse that has withered its fields and fettered its energies. Mark Twain understands theology a lot better than most in the church today do. <laughs> he is looking at this and recognizes that it is a result of a curse from God. Well, a man named Rabbi Moses de Nachman in 1267 had something similar to say. He says, many are Israel's forsaken places and great is the desecration. The more sacred the place, the greater the devastation it has suffered. Jerusalem is the most desolate place of all. Now, I should have included some pictures of Israel today uh, because no one would say that today. Uh, looking at Israel, it is not a waste place anymore. And that is going to be very important as we look at God's promises to Israel and that Israel actually has two promised restorations to the land. One restoration, not in faith, and then another restoration in faith, that they will come back to the land, not yet a faithful people, but through bringing them to the land, uh, they will be uh, put through the fire and refined and become a people of God. So here in Deuteronomy 29, we see these consequences of breaking the covenant. 
says, all the nations will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land? Why this great outburst of anger? What upset God so much? Then the men will say, because they forsook the covenant of the Lord, the God of their fathers, which he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went and served other gods and worshiped them, gods whom they have not known and whom he had not allotted to them. So notice when God makes a promise to them, he puts it on the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. But when he brings down judgment, he puts it on the foundation of the Mosaic covenant, the covenant he made with them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. At the end of the cursing, uh, we see uh, that the Lord, sorry, let me read it. Uh, so it shall be when, ah, uh, yeah, when all of these things have come upon you. So again, when, not if, but now. Notice there are two things that have a when, not an if. When all of these things have come upon you, the blessings and the cursings. So not just the curses. Israel is not destined just to receive one or the other. They will receive both. Many today would say that Israel chose their curses and forsook their blessings. That's not at all the case. God says they will receive both. This is the refinement process. The blessings and the cursings which I have set before you, and you call them to mind, in all nations where the Lord God has banished you. Now, this also becomes very important when we get to Ezekiel. And we see again that it is all nations that they are scattered to the four corners of the earth, not to one nation. Because Ezekiel sees them banished just to Babylon. And they get a return from Babylon. That is not part of this regathering that God is speaking about. They will be scattered over the entire earth and brought back from every corner of the earth. He continues, and uh, this is where we start to see this regathering promised, this regeneration of the entire nation where they will take possession of the land. We're now in Deuteronomy 30, uh, where God shows them the promises that he will fulfill through this land covenant. It says, and you return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and soul, according to all that I command you today, you and your sons. Then the Lord your God will restore you from captivity and have compassion on you and will gather you again from all the peoples where the Lord your God has scattered you. If your outcasts are at the ends of the earth, from, from there the Lord your God will gather you and from there he will bring you back. The Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed. Now at this point, when he is speaking in Deuteronomy 30, to the people in Moab, their fathers had not possessed this land. He is speaking here prophetically to a future generation that when the Lord your God will bring you into a land which your fathers possessed and you shall possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers. So remember, this covenant that he's making is not just to the people there in Moab, but it's to every subsequent generation of Israel after it. So he is speaking here in language that speaks more towards those subsequent generations than it does to the immediate generation because they will live there for a time. But uh, uh, if you read into Joshua, uh, Joshua doesn't end with total success. 
Joshua ends with a long list of places that they did not succeed in conquering yet. Then you get into the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles, and you see that they never conquer those. In fact, they tend to lose um, areas of that they have previously conquered. Um, Ephraim had to move out um, of the place that it had originally settled because they were unable to conquer the people there because of faithlessness. So he is speaking here to future generations, though he will bring it in part to that generation, to every generation that has uh, that is faithful. He will bring them blessing, but this blessing of a permanent position in the land is to that future generation that is faithful to the Lord, that he will bring back from every corner of the earth. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, so that you may live. The Lord your God will inflict all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you, who persecute who persecuted you. And you shall again obey the Lord and observe all his commandments, which I commanded you. Then the Lord your God will prosper you abundantly in all the work of your hand, in the offspring of your body, and in the offspring of your cattle, and in the produce of your land. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good, just as he rejoiced over your fathers. Now, this final receipt of the full blessing goes from verse 8 all the way to verse 20. Uh, so we're not going to read all of that. But let me bring you back here real quick. So we see this outline again. We see that Israel will be disobedient and Israel will be scattered. And their uh, return to the land comes in seven parts. First, they will repent. The Messiah will return to the land. Israel will be regathered to the land. The land will be restored to them. They will be regenerated. Their hearts will be circumcised. The Lord will revenge them, their enemies, and then they will receive the full blessing of the land. And in fact, the full blessing of the entire Abrahamic covenant. 